Culture and Psychology with Tabana. سلام گرم ما به شنوندگان عزیز رادیو بامداد Hello to our listeners uh, Today we are sitting with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade Two of my colleagues from Tavana organization We are happy to have another session This session is going to be about LGBTQ And first uh, as introduction I'm going to go over the label And then we start our conversation Um, we start with lesbian. The L stands for lesbian, and it's a woman who's enduring physical, romantic, and or emotional attraction is to other women. Some lesbians may prefer to identify as gay or as gay women. Gay, the adjective used to describe people who's enduring physical, romantic, and or Emotional attractions are to people of the same sex. Sometimes lesbian is the preferred term of women. Bisexual, a person who has the capacity to form enduring physical, romantic, and or emotional attractions to those of the same gender or to those of another gender. People may experience this attraction in differing ways and degrees over their lifetime. Bisexual people need not have had specific sexual experiences to be bisexual. In fact, they need not have had any sexual experience at all to identify as bisexual. And T stands for transgender. And Transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or gender expression differs from what is typically associated with the sex they were assigned to at birth. People under the transgender umbrella may describe themselves using one or more of a wide variety of terms, including transgender. Many transgender people are prescribed hormones by their doctors to bring their bodies into alignment with their gender identity. Some undergo surgery as well, but not all transgender people can or will take those steps and a transgender identity is not dependent upon physical appearance or medical procedures. And then Q stands for queer or sometimes question, an adjective used by some people, particularly younger people whose sexual orientation is not exclusively heterosexual and typically for those who identify as queer, the terms lesbian, gay and bisexual are perceived to be too limiting and or fraught with cultural connections they feel don't apply to them. Some people may use queer or more commonly gender queer to describe their gender identity and or gender expression. Once considered a pejorative term, pejorative term, queer has been reclaimed by some LGBT people to describe themselves. However, 
It is not a universally accepted term, even with LGBT community. And lastly, we talked about questioning. Sometimes when the Q is seen at the end of LGBT, it can also mean questioning. This term describes someone who is questioning their sexual orientation or gender identity. And there's a plus, and there are more um, actually um, uh, letters that sometimes you see, and every day it's been added. The plus means associates, people who accept all these terms and all these um, uh, adjectives and people who are associated with these adjectives. So today, colleagues, we are going to talk about um, gender identity and also these labels that we talked about. I think as you, you've kind of described there, there's a lot to kind of uh, take in and, and understand. And so I think in, as we discuss this topic, uh, really emphasizing to listeners that, um, uh, you know, these are things that, you know, we've been um, kind of familiar with, but by no means are the expert or the authority. Um, I think it really comes down to really uh, kind of the, talking to the individual, um, allowing them to explain their experience um, and even what the terms mean to them versus just saying, oh, well, you know, I've listened to this radio show or I've read this article and and this is what your experience is or these are the terms that you should be using. Because as you described, like with the term queer, it's it has a lot of different meanings for individuals. I've, I've worked with individuals who've seen that as a very offensive and a very hurtful word, um, especially individuals, uh, uh, older individuals, where some younger individuals were like, no, that's a term that, you know, I take a lot of pride in and, and I identify with and my friends use towards one another. Um, so it's, it's always important to be aware of this, this. There's a lot of fluidity. There's a lot of change in that way. And really kind of being open to how the individual understands those things and being open to a conversation about what that's meant uh, for them in their life, as well as even in their uh, community and their environment as well. I would jump in and add to Saide, you mentioned earlier that the term pejorative, that sometimes queer has been used as a pejorative term. And pejorative, for people who don't know what that means, it's a put down. It's a way of slapping somebody with a negative label, and it's just an, can be a negative way. And so the word queer has a history of originally being a put down in that way. And to some extent, I think that the sting of that word for a lot of people continues on. But what my understanding of what has happened in the LGBTQ community is that they've done what other movements have done in that they have reclaimed and taken the, the pejorative slap out of the term by embracing and endorsing that term. So they reclaim that term of queer, which really robs the, the people who would use it in a bad way, it robs them of their power to hurt with that term. So it's kind of a cool movement in that way. It's very clever. And so the, the uh, LGBTQ community has endorsed that. But as you also mentioned, some people who are older, they still feel that. And this is a good example of how cultural change is difficult and it takes time. Well, that's why um, throughout the history, attitude towards sexuality and gender throughout history has changed. There was a time that it was okay 
in the history that two men, especially two men, were together. And sometimes uh, before they were used like military lovers. And it was just fine with society and nobody questioned. And there was time that in especially different cultures, uh, there are so many stories uh, about the lovers being same-sex love um, between women and men. And it was a, the time that uh, they would go to a prison if they saw them having sexual, um, you know, um, uh, basically showing their sexual interests in public, they would just send them to jail. So history has changed uh, a lot towards uh, homosexuality. And I like to open the identity part because um, I want our listeners to understand when we are um, having a sexual uh, identity by birth, that doesn't mean um, that our actual identity and interest um, or instinct is the same. So that's how all these labels throughout uh, the history has been created, I guess. And I'm not expert in that, but I just like to open this conversation and how much each of us know we can share for our uh, listeners. And, and I personally didn't really know that trans transgender is an umbrella over um, cisgender, over, um, you know, trans man, trans woman, uh, cross-dresser, all of that is under transgender. And it was interesting to me. Well, like you're saying, the idea of like gender identity, a lot of times once uh, we're, it's in, so interesting how strong that influence can be in our society and our culture. I mean, a few minutes after being born, uh, parents and uh, individuals will react towards an infant uh, based on their gender in a, in, a, in a specific way with, you know, being softer towards girls and being rougher towards boys. And with that can, uh, I think, is often assume one's sexual orientation. And so at a very early age, too, there's this idea, this expectation uh, from one's family, from one's culture, like if you are a boy, your attraction is going to be towards female. And so, uh, you know, imagine being born into a world where automatically, you know, you're maybe not seen as normal or accepted and the, the struggle, the fight. And I think it, it kind of plays to the idea, like you said, of identity. I mean, it's, it's so tough, I think, in life to kind of figure out who we are as people in general, let alone to have this idea of who we are, um, particularly our, our sexual orientation. Um, kind of be challenged almost or, or kind of negated from the very beginning. So definitely I see it's something for a lot of individuals, a uh, sense of identity, who they are, their worth, their value is sometimes questioned or shaken in that way. Um, I do at some point want to get to the history of, uh, you know, psychology's, you know, not so good relationship with um, sexual, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexual identity and even, um, you know, different terms throughout history that, uh, psychology is used because yeah, psychology has, has been uh, like most institutions uh, as well as psychiatry, you know, um, kind of really put down uh, individuals who were, you know, homosexual or gay. And so um, again, this idea that one's identity throughout our culture, even uh, the mental health system 
has been, you know, really negative, really critical. Well, when when we talk about, for example, this intersecting identities uh, actually affect how we see ourselves and how we interact with the world. The first part of us is our sexuality. When we are born, we are a girl or a boy, right? But then you know, it's our gender, it's our race, it's our age, it's our um, disability, it's our religion, it's all of that that creates our identity. But then who we really are, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Andrade, it's really throughout growing up, throughout finding ourselves, we probably know where we are. And I like when Dr. Rockers, when we were talking before we start our program, he said, it's a continuum. And, and I really, in um, my head, I always thought that, you know, in a continuum, we are either on the end of this con continuum or on this end of continuum as um, our interest in sex or who we are. And then there's all these other people in this continuum. And it's, it's really understanding where we are in that continuum. I taught a class when I was in graduate school, I taught a class for undergraduates, and I think it was the psychology of adjustment, but we talked about relationships and how the relationships always function on a continuum. One is homosexual on one end and heterosexual on the other end. It's probably an outdated view at this point, but my, my point here is that as I brought that up to the students and I talked about we're all on this continuum in somewhere, some place, and it is conceivable that our relate, like men's relationship with men, is a homosexual relationship, right? By definition, it really is. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that you have sexual or that you have some erotic, but and so all of this is a labored explanation to make my point, which is there's some pretty strong reactions to that. And I think it brings up the idea that people have a lot of fear about what they don't and their cultural implication or cultural norms, let's say. And that's a thing that I think is what's so difficult for LGBT people is it's going against some of the established norms of the culture. And that's very challenging. If your identity, if you feel like, wow, I don't fit in, that's pretty hard. That's a pretty hard deal. And that's why in whatever old days where olden times, banishment from the tribe was one of the severest punishment, right? If I don't, if I'm not accepted, if I'm shunned in some way, that's pretty painful. So I think that's what, that's one of the big difficulties. That's the movement that group is, can we be accepted? Mm -hmm. We just want to be accepted. We want to be seen as people. Why focus on, why focus so much on this? Right, right. Just like any other issues that we have uh, in, in our society and everywhere in the world. So we're going to give a short break and come back to continue our conversation about LGBTQ+.
We are back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. Our conversation today is about LGBTQ+. And um, so far we talked about each label and we converse about uh, the history a little bit. And also we shared uh, some of the, the thoughts, ideas and experiences we had uh, throughout um, our profession. Uh, one thing uh, that I want to share, this last Saturday, there was a workshop with uh, Dr. Grant Kuntz um, with the SVPA um, community. And I took actually this uh, session, which was a full day workshop about LGBTQ+. And uh, actually Dr. Uh, Grant Kuntz, who, is, uh, who was the presenter, is a gay man. And what he shared was very interesting what this minority uh, group that we are talking about has gone through terrible uh, history background that it's just, uh, you know, it's so sad to even know what they go through. One of the things he shared was that LGBTQ young adults had 120% higher risk of reporting homelessness compared to youth who identified as heterosexual and cisgender. Um, but, and they estimate that uh, LGBTQ youth um, comprise up to 40% of the total unaccompanied homeless youth population. And even though they make up five to 10% of the overall youth population, uh, but their uh, statistic of homelessness is huge. And also um, he was sharing that um, the murders of transgender women by race is huge, like black is 8%. Latinx is 10%, Native Americans 5%, and white is 5%. So thinking about what they go through is just unimaginable. And um, that's why today we want to talk about it and just start to opening up this conversation so in different communities and societies they understand um, what they go through, first of all, and what their sexuality mean. And it's not something that um, they do for fun. It's just who they are. And I want to really talk about this. My understanding is this is as clear as left-handed, right-handed. But I like to see what, what you think. Say, say more, what do you mean as clear as left-handed, right-handed? Well, like if you're born, you're left-handed, you know, oh, you're okay. left-handed and it shows up. Yeah. I mean, I uh, definitely not as early as uh, left-handed showing yeah. up, but I mean, sure. as soon as you understand your sexuality and your attraction, yeah. um, you are who you are as yeah. a sexual identity. It reminds me to share a, a bit of a personal story. I think it's one that's really helped me in my own growth and understanding of sexual identity, sexual orientation, um, in the, like probably a lot of um, different cultures. Um, I know in the Latino culture, there's a lot of negative um, kind of, you know, machismo, masculinity kind of reactions to uh, people who are gay and homosexual. And so I grew up with a lot of, you know, hearing, you know, men in my, my family, uh, you know, kind of really talk about it in a very harsh and a very critical way. 
And, you know, one of the ways that I became kind of to understand kind of what that was and, and the individual behind uh, uh, that uh, one of my uncles um, was gay and he growing up, it, it, you know, and hearing stories about him, it was always like he was always a little different. He was always a little effeminate, um, but he was also this like great loving person. And so it was one of those things where I think family were able to see the individual in addition to his sexual identity. But it was definitely one that, you know, was a struggle for so long. And I remember growing up kind of not being told, you know, what that was, even what his uh, relationship was. He had a longtime partner uh, who was around like almost my whole life. And it was never really said that they were partners. It was just like, you know, them, you know, they, they, they were just kind of identified as, as a, you know, the two of them, but it was never, you know, their partners or they're together. Um, they even lived together. And I, at sometimes uh, in staying, visiting one of my parents, um, we would stay there with them, but it was never like talked about. And it always amazed me just how taboo it was and how like, there's like this code of silence, uh, even when he, uh, passed away, there was like so much uh, kind of, you know, this this kind of trying to change the narrative of who he was, even to the fact that it was kind of sad where they even tried to make it sound as though he was, uh, that he wasn't gay and that, you know, he had this, uh, you know, child and it was this whole controversy. It was almost like a soap opera or something like that. But it was just like, there was such an effort to kind of shape his image and who he was um, because of the struggle for family to kind of accept his identity in that way. And I, I always wondered, he passed away when I was a, like a sophomore in high school, but I always wondered like what the impact that that had on him was, because he was such a loving man. He was so caring and such a, a great person. He's somebody I think about often. Um, he passed away at such a young age, uh, I think about 30. And uh, it was just so, it, it, for me, it, it really allowed me to kind of ask, the question, like, how can you just hate somebody outright for one part of who they are when, you know, my uncle um, was so loving in so many other aspects of his life and, and was just this wonderful person. And so just to narrow somebody's identity based on that uh, allowed me to start to kind of challenge some of those those very harsh and critical uh, kind of statements from people that I was hearing uh, in my life. Um, which I think for a lot of people is very confusing because, you know, I heard those messages, those very critical messages about being gay and being lesbian from people who I loved and respected. And so, you know, how can you challenge those those beliefs uh, and, and say that, you know, these things, you know, aren't true. These things aren't, you know, something we should just absorb and take in that it's wrong to be gay or it's bad to be gay. And then there can be like this exception. Oh, but your uncle, but your uncle is different. I love him. He, you know, he, he, that's okay. It's like, well, why isn't everybody else? Okay. <laughs> why isn't that a, you know, something that we can kind of open our mind to. So I share that to just really emphasize to individuals, you know, I think it's so important that we look beyond just, you know, that one aspect of a person's identity and try to really connect with, you know, that person and, you know, who they are and who they, you know, maybe who individuals who we don't know and, you know, all the, the people who in their lives who who love and care about them versus just assuming you know those those harsher negative things that we've heard or learned in our culture and our society but i think it also brings up that important aspect 
how difficult it is to challenge cultural. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is, there's two, to me, there's two things. One is changing ourselves at an individual level. And then the other is being able to challenge a cultural norm, which yeah. is, I think, incredibly challenging. And a lot of people, they, I, I'm not sure they have what it takes to challenge such cultural norms. I don't think I'm, I mean, I don't feel like I'm all that strong. I watch some people in these different movements we're seeing today, these cultural change movements, things like Black Lives Matter. And to challenge the cultural norms takes an incredible amount of courage and perseverance. Yeah. That is, I think, quite admirable. But it's hard for people to challenge those cultural norms because culture norms somehow get pushed back hard. I think also, and you, you mentioned the hatred part, but I also, but I didn't hear you say directly if there was a lot of that. My sense is that for a lot of people, but for the cultural norm, they really would be more accepting or are more accepting of the that oh. it their fear of challenging the cultural norms that, you know, there's a lot of shame that ends up getting associated with all of that. And so that somehow like for, as I'm imagining is for the funeral, they, some people mm -hmm. kind of tried to make it in a certain way and look a certain way in their hearts. They knew and loved the man, but it was the cultural norm. Well, we better do this. I think a lot of people, a lot of us don't even realize what cultural norms were immersed in. Yeah. And that it is that. Yeah, talking about cultural, um, I know even a psychologist who um, can't work with uh, any of these labels that we talked about. And he even, I mean, it's amazing that you be a psychologist and you just say bluntly that you can't work with any of these people and you don't accept them. And also he disowned his own niece, which was uh, really surprising. So talking about cultural norms and cultural, uh, it is true, Dr. Rockers, that in some cultures, it's so um, uh, heavy, the topic that even a psychologist in that culture cannot even open his mind to work with people um, of this group, LGBTQ. Um, and, and that's why I think in general, in all cultures, even in our society now that we feel is more open or Europeans uh, that are, I think, even way more open than our society, still this is not fully accepted and, and they're not uh, completely blended into the society. And that's why um, the LGBT, um, the older people usually, um, I mean, twice as likely I would say that they age alone. So these are the facts that we need to know. And I wanted to go back to what I learned this last weekend that 2.7 million LGBT adult age 50 and older um, are by um, statistics that approximately one in five of them are older adults um, of color and 1.1 million are 65 um, or older. And one third of the older adults live at or below 200% of the federal um, poverty level. So these are the facts. Um, and also 40% of LGBT adults 
um, 80 and older, um, 40% of uh, African-American LGBT, older adults, 40% uh, of Hispanic LGBT, older adults, 47 of bisexual older men. These are included in that um, number that I gave and 48% of bisexual old, older women and 40%, 48% of transgender older adults. Um, so out of all these people that we talked about, 54% uh, receive care from partner, 24% uh, receive care from a friend, and LGBT older adults experience mental and physical illness more frequently. And 99% uh, 9, 9 of LGBT report healthcare providers using harsh or abusive language, 21% among transgender. So these are the reality of our own society. And um, that's why we need to really open up to the facts that what these people go through. I mean, this is really sad statistics to know what's happening. I think along those lines, I think it's uh, important to recognize too, uh, I know from a psychological perspective, you know, there's always been the the message that although individuals who identify as like gay or lesbian um, may experience higher rates of like depression, anxiety, it's not this cause and effect. It's not because they are, it's because of a lot of these things that we're talking about, uh, the, the impact of, you know, societal and cultural, um, you know, stress. Uh, I think it's important to recognize too, the DSM, the Di Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the things that psychologists and psychiatrists use to um, uh, diagnose people. Um, it's not until pretty recently that that diagnosis of homosexuality in a pathologizing in a very critical way has been removed uh, from the DSM. It was in 1973, and that's not that long ago. And I always like to remind people, it wasn't like, okay, it's removed from the DSM. Everything is okay now. No, no, you know, the impact of that has continued on. I've actually uh, had the opportunity to speak to uh, a psychologist, an uh, older gentleman, who actually used to do conversion therapy, which was uh, the conversion therapy. What that was is basically kind of treating somebody to not make them gay anymore. And uh, because this individual is older, he was like, you know, that was that was normal. That was what we did. That was a type of treatment that we'd offer. Where now that that's been removed, like you can't provide that uh, type of treatment anymore. I think even in California, it's like not allowed. Um, while in some other places, I believe they're still able to practice that. And so. Uh, Again, it goes to show that, you know, although these things have been changed and removed from, uh, you know, the DSM, they still exist in our culture and the impact of that definitely does as well. And I remember I read in the history that there were, throughout the history, there were psychologists that at each point, uh, they actually counted, as you mentioned, Dr. Andrade, they were actually one of the mental health issues that they needed to be corrected. And I can't remember exactly what year it was that a psychologist, even anonymously, because couldn't even say who he is, he actually announced that this is not a sickness. This is this is something that um, basically we need to understand better. And he didn't even announce his name, but later they found out who he was. And I probably can search his name. And those that they thought this is... Um, a sort of mental issues, they connected it to uh, Freud's uh, uh, levels of growth in sexuality. And they thought 
they have stopped in the growth after follic um, stage. So they didn't get to latency and general uh, genital. So actually they thought this is mental health issues. And from that point, it came into our DSM um, book. And I think it was 1987 or so that finally they changed that. It was 1973. That yeah. they changed it to... Yeah, so they which, took it which off. Which isn't that long ago. Yeah, it's not that yeah. long ago. It's it's within our lifetime, which I always like remind people, like we think of these things as like, oh yeah, it was removed a long time ago. And it's like, yeah, it was a couple editions ago, but it was not that long ago. It's within our lifetime uh, versus these things being, you know, decades ago or something. And that's why those psychologists that they were working with these people to change their, their sexual identity, they never um, could be successful. Um, so that was a reason. So we're going to give another break and come back. We are back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and we are continuing our conversation about LGBTQ+. And so far, we talked about the history. We talked about DSM and changes in the uh, DSM format. We talked about psychologists that uh, at some point in history, they thought this is mental health issues. And um, it was not long ago, like 1983, as Dr. Andrade mentioned. 73. 73. 73. I'm so sorry. Okay. I keep... Okay. Uh, making these mistakes because history is amazing. You know, now past so much time, uh, 1973, that I, it was in DSM-3, right? Uh, DSM-2. That was changed. So now we are at a point that um, we are talking about what um, this community of the group that we talked about goes through and the stigma that um, I remember... Um, Dr. Grant Coons mentioned something that really uh, was very sad to know that uh, he said uh, the stigma, sometimes when you talk to these people, they say that sometimes the word can kill you. Uh, sometimes a gun can kill you physically, but sometimes a word, the stigma can really actually mentally kill you. And also I remember it was one time um, not too long ago that in Kansas, um, they, they stabbed two gay men 
that they were actually showing affection in the in the um, society. And uh, it wasn't even that too long ago that the news was about them. So every day we hear something even now with, that we have grown into this issue, still we see some, um, you know, things that happen negatively towards this group of people. And that's why they um, actually estimate that 20 to 30% of LGBTQ um, are using um, substance abuse or alcohol uh, co in comparison to 9% um, use of alcohol in other communities, general community, which is huge when you think about 20 to 30% more. So what these people go through, is just unimaginable. You know, the, we just hear a bits of it, but when you listen to the number of people who um, kill themselves, uh, who commit suicide or attempt suicide, the numbers are huge compared to um, other people, other gender in society. And along those lines, I don't know if you explicitly said it, uh, and I think that was what the training was about. I've taken that training before. It was just that individuals uh, who identify as uh, gay or lesbian have higher rates of suicidality than other individuals, including uh, higher rates of attempt. And so I think it's, you know, even just that statistic, it tells you that there's a problem, um, that there's uh, uh, there's something wrong with how people are treated and how they're viewed, that they feel so alone or hurt uh, or disconnected that they have to, you know, feel as though use substances to, to cope, uh, to even have, you know, the thought of taking their own life. It's something that is, I, I think it's a bigger it's a bigger problem than just the individual, which is why we're talking about it and thinking about, you know, how must those individuals feel? And I think in, you know, reaching out to our listeners, I think hopefully this conversation sparks the idea of, you know, what are, what are your own views? What are your own beliefs? Not in a way where you're choosing to think or believe these things, but, you know, you've maybe inherited or adopted um, from your culture, from, you know, your family, from, you know, uh, just the larger society in that way. It's like, uh, as I talk about with racism, a lot of times, you know, we inherit a lot of these biases and, and we don't even realize it, but it takes um, being able to be aware and acknowledge these views and beliefs that we maybe carry, how they can be perpetuated and start to recognize that, you know, those are, are limiting in so many ways, as well as really having a negative impact people as, you know, those statistics highlight. Yeah, even just uh, this last year alone, 29.5% uh, of youth in LGBT uh, actually uh, attempted so almost close to 30%. It's amazing. The number is uh, speaks to what goes on in, in the mind of these people, especially when you're young and you have the whole future in front of you. And when you hit these... Uh, barricades um, and then imagine how sensitive you are when you're younger and uh, how do you see your future it's amazing and we have to understand why they commit suicide uh, one of the things that um, it was discussed during these sessions was the pain of lack of connection that is the foundational part of a human being they feel they don't have that connection. And the other one is 
uh, the thought that if I leave, I actually make other people's life that are connected to me easier. Imagine what goes on in their mind. And other thing is the imagination that I cannot achieve my capacity. I cannot achieve my goal. You know, these are things that goes on in their minds. And it is important to talk about that. So people who are listening understand what goes on into the minds of um, people that they have, they're in minority group sexually. Here's a question I'm interested in hearing each of your takes on what percent or how much of people who, let's say, mistreat or cause people to feel badly, what percentage of that do you, of those people, do you think are intentionally mistreating them? And what percent of them do you think are doing that because they don't really know? It's kind of an, an ignorance type of thing that they, they don't know, that they didn't know were offensive or what have you. Very good question. I personally think because of religion, because of our beliefs, because of what we have raised with, um, we are actually closing our mind to see things otherwise. So I think a lot of it is ignorance. And I think the conversation we have today is just opening up the minds of people to know who they are, what they go through, what is the reality. I think personally, if you really go through all these things that I am, we are talking about today, who would want to change their identity to go through all of this and try being a different sexual, um, you know, oriented as they are? So I'm just thinking, if your instinct is not that, how would you change it? Because some people say it's environment. Nowadays, everybody wants to try different things. They may try different things once or twice, but in general, who would want to go through all these just because the environment allows? You know what I mean? It's just yeah, you wouldn't good choose. Question. You wouldn't choose to go through that suffering. Exactly, yeah. you don't choose to go through that suffering. So we need to understand this piece that if you see someone who is under these titles or these labels that we talked about. That's who they are. So try to understand it as you understand somebody is from another culture or somebody's color is different than, than you. you. We need to understand that these people are the way they are because of their physical and, and the way they are when it comes to their sexual identity. So understanding this is really important. And I think then you had a very good question. We don't know the statistics, but off my mind, off the, uh, uh, out of my thinking and experience, I feel like a lot of it is ignorance. A lot of it is the belief that we have been raised with and that religion puts us into boxes that we don't come out of it unless we really think deeply and question everything that we have raised with, everything that we believe in based on our religion. If we don't do that, we don't come out of those boxes ever. I agree. I think it's ignorance and fear. I think fear drives a lot of it. Fear of the unknown, fear of the unfamiliar, uh, fear of uh, things that aren't, um, you know, quote unquote, normal in that way. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of times it can be very scary that people don't stop and kind of reflect uh, all those things you mentioned, Saide, and, and kind of try to see the bigger picture. And 
I think even try to, you know, challenge some of those beliefs or norms of what they've been told and what they've heard. And yeah, it takes, you know, to, to counter fear, for example, to counter fear, I mean, takes courage and to look at oneself in a very honest and authentic way and say, yeah, I hold some of these biases. I hold some of these, um, you know, negative views and I don't want to perpetuate them. I don't want to continue. And so, yeah, it, it takes us looking at ourselves in, in a very compassionate yet uh, kind of uh, analytical way that this is what we have maybe thought or believed at some point. And we don't have to keep believing those things. We don't have to perpetuate that. And the reality is that as human beings, the way consciousness is set up, we categorize a built-in aspect of how the mode this is. There isn't any person alive who does not have some preconceived mm -hmm. and to put things into categories. It is a way that we navigate the world. One of the keys, one of the initial keys, I believe, aware of it. That doesn't, that doesn't solve the problem, right? We saw this with uh, a lot of some of the insight psychology earlier on. The thinking was, well, if I just get insight into where it came from, that'd be cured of it. For some people, it did. For some people, it did not. So it's not just getting the insight. In yes. Yeah, we say we need, we need awareness and we need action. And I always even tell people, you know, majority, it starts with awareness, but you got to act on it too. You got to do something about it. You can't just say, oh, okay, I know that. And then think it changes. No, you have to do in the world or do uh, in your life in some way. And so, you know, definitely. Yeah. And I want to encourage our listeners to research that because you have to start from somewhere. You just have to, for example, when you listen to us and you have questions, you start researching, you start reading because overnight you can change your mind. Obviously, we have been in different situations where our mind was set to believe something. And then it took us more courage to question, to read, to talk to other people. And gradually you start thinking things differently as you develop your understanding. So it is important to start questioning our beliefs, to start questioning um, why do we believe in that? Because I'm just thinking, talking about the community of LGBTQ+, I mean, not plus, but the LGBTQ, the lack of support of communities and society brings the self-esteem of these people way too low. I mean, imagine you're living in a society that they don't accept you. How would you feel? We talk about Black Lives Matters. Why do those um, groups of people that they don't see the support of society do things sometimes outrageously? Um, why do we see all these people that they, um, I mean, yes, there are some mental issues that takes you to the uh, level of uh, disappointment of life, not um, being happy about who you are. But then it's so sad because of the identity that you don't have anything to do with it. You were born with that. Then you be punished by the society. I mean, we need to really change our mind. We need to really think deeper. And I really believe that we start from ourselves. We need to start working on, on our self-awareness, start questioning these things. Um, lack of alignment with the society when these people feel brings them to a point that they get frustrated. They get to a point that they hit the wall. And if we 
as society don't change our way of we look at this group, then things aren't going to happen and it's not going to change. We take a quick break uh, and come back with some ideas. Uh, the encourage master, listeners to, to think about what we've talked about today. Sure. Thank you for reminding for a short break and coming back to say our last statement like we always do. We're back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, two of my friends and colleagues from Tavana organization. اگه صدای ما رو به زبان انگلیسی تا کنون شنیدین ما روزهای شنبه و شنبه در رادیو بامداد به زبان انگلیسی صحبت میکنیم امروز صحبتمون در مورد لزبیان، گی، ترانسجندر و کویر دوز لیبلای هستش که در جامعه ما میشنویم صحبت کردیم به زبان انگلیسی الان برگشتیم و در قسمت پایانی صحبتامون رو ادامه میدیم All right, friends, we are at the last part of our conversation. I will jump in and uh, go first with an idea. We tend to fear what we don't understand. And I think one of the first steps is see if you can become aware of what things you are fearing that you don't understand. And instead of treating it badly, maybe be interested in it and wonder how people in that category might feel. That's good. Uh, good advice, Daniel. Uh, one of the things I encourage individuals, uh, I think, to humanize. What What's been helpful for me is to humanize um, an individuals and, and to think about them and, and their life and their experience. Um, for me, it's always been humanizing in the way of you know uh, being able to connect and think about uh, my uncle Mathin Andrade and to be able to say, you know, what if this person. You know, what if I was the therapist of my uncle and he was kind of sharing and, and talking with me? Or what if I was interacting with this person and this was my my family member, my uncle? Um, you know, how would that change my interaction with him and allow me to be more open and compassionate in that way? And along those lines, to challenge some of those thoughts and those beliefs um, that we maybe hold that we haven't fully worked through, we haven't really kind of grappled with. I think that allows you to kind of start to 
really examine those. Yeah, and I want to say we hear often that so-and-so is uh, coming out of closet or there are people that they're still in the closet. The reason is that there are some people when they come out of the closet, they lose their friends, they lose their family. And um, this is the saddest thing that we can do to any human being that we disown them. And um, my recommendation is to our listeners uh, to please understand that these people are not practicing or exercising something that is not who they are. They are who they are, and we just need to change ourselves by really understanding them. So with that, I want to say goodbye to our listeners with my colleagues, Dr. Andrade and Dr. Rockers, and we hope you have a great Saturday. We come back tomorrow, and we will continue our conversation about maybe same topic or another topic. Oh,
من همیشه عاشقم